Nation is the immortal Hulk Hogan and the Earthquake tap into respective teams of the Big Boss Man and Dino Bravo. Joining up with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Haku, Tugboat, the Barbarian, the Hulkamaniacs versus the Natural Disasters. Team Captains, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Join up with Coco Beware and a mystery partner, along with the Anvil, Greg Amber Valentine, Bret Hart, the Honky Talk Man, the Dream Team versus the Million Dollar Team. Team Captains Nikolai Volkov and Sergeant Slaughter. Join up with Tito Santana, Laura Sukov, Bushwhacker Butch, Sato, Bushwhacker Luke and Tanaka, Dipsy Alliance versus the Mercenaries. Jake the Snake Roberts and the model Rick Martell, captain of respective teams of the Superfly, the Warlord, Marty Janetti, the Mighty Hercules, Shawn Michaels, Paul Roma, the Vipers versus the Visionaries. World Wrestling Federation Champion, the Ultimate Warrior, and Mr. Perfect, lead team members, Texas Tornado, Crash, along with Animal, Axe, Hawk, Smash, it's the Warriors versus the Perfect Team. It's the Survivor Series. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. 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 Let me tell you something, man. Greetings Grapple fans, it's time once again for another edition of Let Me Tell You Something, where two differing generations of professional wrestling fans duke it out in the court of public opinion, trying to make a body slam of knowledge against a back body drop of counterpoint. I'm your co-host Lorcan Mullen, and with me as always is the Terry Bam Bam Gordy to my Dr. Death Steve Williams, the B. Brian Blair to my Jumping Jim Brunzel, the Conquistador Dos to my Uno, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how you doing, mate? I'm doing alright, I'm doing alright. You seem to enjoy the Miracle Violence Connection uh, reference there. I loved it, I loved it. What a name. They had so many amazing names in Japan for their tag teams, the... Miracle Violence Connection, the Holy Demon Army, Emerald Frozen, I think was the name of one of their moves. They just, the Japanese just took the English language and exploded it in our face. Everywhere. There's English words flying all over the place. (laughs) Usually when I watch Japanese videos, it ends with something everywhere, but that's. Yeah, they are an eccentric nation, but we love them for it. Except between the years 1941 to 1945. But other than that, being pretty good. Pretty good so stuff. Before we uh, Pearl Harbor our train of thought. Yep, yep. That's for another. That is for another podcast. <laughs> that is for another episode in the future. 
One of the things that we like to do is we like to not go into the ins and outs of the latest week of professional wrestling news because I think we'd like this to be something that you can catch up to two or three years into the future. There might be some allusions to what's going on at the time of recording, which is in November 2014, but we're kind of more about um, aspects of professional wrestling rather than the latest news in professional wrestling. We've discussed heel turns, debuts... What we like to do is we like to eliminate the competition. And that's why today we're going to be talking about elimination matches. Like I said, this is being recorded in November 2014. Not necessarily when it's being put up, but that's when we're recording it. We're a couple of weeks away as we speak from the latest Survivor Series pay-per-view. And we were going to, we're going to start this off by discussing kind of the, the foundation, the backbone of the Survivor Series pay-per-view, which has been the elimination match. And then, uh, if time permits, we may go into further elimination-based matches like the three-way dance, the four-way eliminations. You may be in your elimination chambers, and maybe even broaden that to just any kind of match with multiple falls in them. It depends how we go, because those other things can very much cover their own episodes, and, and they probably will do in the future. But to start off with, we're going to be talking about that four-on-four, three-on-three, five-on-five, even at one point ten-on-ten elimination match. Simon... What are your recollections as a wrestling fan of a younger generation to myself? Actually, I think you told me this before. What the the first Survivor Series match you saw is quite telling as to what point in professional wrestling history you jumped in on. It's quite a telling point in wrestling history. You're right. It was uh, Survivor Series 2001, uh, the tail end of the uh, Invasion Angle. Like who had? Um, well, that, that's a whole other issue, whether or not that was well executed or not. But mm-hmm. we ended with our climax at Survivor. Series. Series, a casual five-on-five five, uh, standard Survivor Series elimination, and it's one of the first pay-per-views I ever actually watched, in part to the Neaton Library having a copy in, bizarrely. So that was a nice rental. You should just be thankful there's an Neaton Library, really, shouldn't you? To be honest, I'm amazed it's still standing. I was in Neaton recently. It's a, it's an interesting town, I'll say that. Um, did you know that the guy who directed uh, the new Godzilla movies from Nuneaton? I did not, no. Yeah, yeah. It would have been pretty cool if he'd have set some of that film in there. My God! Look at the devastation that's been wreaked on this place! Uh, Godzilla hasn't turned up yet. It's unbearable! It's a bloodbath! Ah! So, anyway, your, your frequent to Nuneaton Library unearthed the gold mine that is the 2001 Survivor Series DVD, which had maybe the most star-studded elimination match in WWE history, at least, which was between The Rock, Chris Jericho, the Brothers of Destruction, Kane and Undertaker, and The Big Show, taking on Stone Cold Steve Austin, Kurt Angle, Rob Van Dam, Booker T, and Shane McMahon. One of these is not like all the others. One of these doesn't necessarily belong. I think Shane McMahon had to be eliminated with a tombstone, a rock bottom, a choke slam, and a lion's salt, something like that. Yeah, and they did look, I think they did a multiple finish thing yes. on him. And, uh, uh, and then he turned up to Raw the next day, not even limping. So, you know, John Cena coming from the Shane McMahon school of uh, post-pay-per-view selling, perhaps, one could argue. Gosh, like that, I, I, I do love the bouncy ball that was Shane McMahon. He was pretty oh, amazing. Slightly pudgy man that seemed to be able to move like a javelin, both in his own agility and in his ability to be thrown by other people. My th- one of my favourite McMahons, hands down. Mm. Um, so that was your first introduction to the Survivor Series format. 
did it intrigue you? Uh, those rules that that did it seem quite unique and and unusual and exciting in that regard? In the same way that like the first time you hear that two guys are going to go and face each other in a steel cage, that's you know that's automatically exciting. So does did the did the rules of a Survivor Series match intrigue you in that regards? I I liked because I, what I liked about it because of the what was at stake. It seemed the most appropriate type of match to have with a match. I like you know with a match with a very fabric of you know existence is on the line. You can't really leave it in the hands of just one man. Yeah, and a t- straight up tag match doesn't seem quite right. Mm. So it was the most natural choice. It was, it was like troops being led into battle. Mm. Um, one team from the front and one team from the back. I mean, mm. Shane leading his team from the front was a bit of a weird one considering he was the heel and it's typically a face. Thing to do. do you know what I think the honest reason behind it was on a, on a booking perspective they probably didn't think there were five wrestlers within the alliance that were worthy of being in that main event and if you look at it it was eight of the ten talents were WWF talent throughout the pretty much the majority of this Monday Night War but you know when the invasion happened out of the people in that final match it was only Booker T and Rob Van Dam that came with the invading army Yeah. but again we're kind of going into the uh, mistakes possibly made during the booking of the invasion, not the actual Survivor Series match itself. Of which there were many. Of which there were many, but that's for another podcast. Oh. Another series. Another podcast series. <laughs> It'd be the serial to This Is uh, NPR, This American Life. That's a little podcast in joke for you podcast fans there, of which there are five. <laughs> but we listen to a lot. We listen to a lot of them. Ready to feel the void of silence in our lives, but I digress. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, I, I I I genuinely resent it if I have to listen to the outside world at any point during my walkabouts. I'm either listening to music or podcasts, or someone else talking to me if needs be. But if it's just like if it's just yeah if it's just like birds tweeting or I don't know Barney's asking me what drink I want, I I kind of resent the world for doing that to me. But uh, in terms of we're doing a lot of digressing this <laughs> in terms of that Survivor Series match though what I liked about it was um, no one got cleanly like no one got whitewashed like mm. everyone got eliminated like quite strongly and like, yeah. that was, I think that's the great thing about an elimination match mm. you can sort of lose but still win yeah if it's a long stretch of a match, I mean, this would also be one of the longest matches in Survivor Series history, because I think it ran for about somewhere around 45 minutes, I think. Classically, uh, in uh, sometimes the Survivor Series can be the only event where you might get eliminated with a clothesline or something, especially back in the early, early days, which is where I came in, in my fandom of professional wrestling. One of the first vivid memories I had was flipping through my cousin's WWF magazine, uh, my cousin Matthew being the person that got me into pro wrestling in the first place, and it was building up to the 1990 Survivor Series, the fourth annual Survivor Series. They had the pages with the matches being laid out, and they would be the four team members stood together in front of a brick wall. And it was just, it was pretty mind-boggling immediately, because wrestling seems to be one-on-one, two-on-two. So immediately to see that there were matches where there were four-on-four, which is what it was for the fourth Survivor Series, and that if one team does very badly, it could end up being four-on-one, or three-on-one, or four-on-two, or at the end of the uh, final match of elimination, which was the only Survivor Series to do it, the one in 1990, where it ended with uh, the three-man team of Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior, and Tito Santana. Again, one of these men is not like all the others. 
against uh, Ted DiBiase, Rick Martel, the Warlord, and Power and Glory. And those sort of odds, that, that fascinated me, that it wasn't just a straight one-on-one fight. There would be one team would have an advantage over the other team, and how would that affect them? And uh, that 1990 Survivor Series as well was the first one where an entire team won their match. And uh, Jake the Snake did this brilliant, just this brilliant build-up when Jake the Snake was on his own against the visionary team, the visionaries of uh, Martel, Warlord, and Power and Glory, and just sort of looking to the crowd. And and it really emphasised that um, that numbers, of, you know, the numbers uh, advantage they had on him. And he was also, this was at one point when he was just one-eyed Jake, uh, one-eyed snake Jake Roberts. There's a joke in there somewhere. I can't quite put my fingers on it or my wrap my hands around it. Not, oh, not, not right crash. now. Not right now. Um, so it was that great ultimate underdogs. And, you know, Jake the Snake, he was the master of psychology and getting the crowd on his side. And the crowd was just whipped up to a frenzy before that fall had even begun, that they were so rooting on Jake the Snake and he... Nearly got it out of the bag when he hit the wall or with the DDT, but then he got counted out because the model attacked him again. So, so it, it, it opened up avenues that you wouldn't see normally. You would just see one on one, two on two, but this could be one on four, which just blew my mind because when I was a kid, one of the spots I always loved as a kid was the hot tag in a tag team match where the the baby face that's been out of the ring, you know, your Marty Janettis usually or Jim Neidhart or Robert Gibson for the classic rock and roll express uh, form of it, uh, would be finally brought into the match after waiting on the apron for ages and they're just a ball of energy and they're taking out both of those men at once. And that just, I love that because that's kind of like a Jackie Chan kung fu movie. I always love the idea of one person being able to fight off two or three or even four wrestlers at the same time. And again, the Survivor Series kind of uh, catered to that because Hulk Hogan could, in the end, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior took out all four uh, four of the five members of that team to stand triumphant at the end. So, you know, wrestling is all about telling stories and especially, you know, the, the, the baby face having to fight from underneath. It's kind of a classic story, and, and usually most Survivor Series will, will kind of go by that story. Maybe the baby faces will get the pinfall at the start, and then the the bad guys will gradually start to gain on them in the numbers, and then either they overwhelm the baby face at the end, or, or the baby face pulls it out uh, from a two-on-one situation. You know, classically Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior will be in a one-on-two situation most of the time. It's not always a baby face. Either. Not always, no. But but when it's a, a heel, usually they either want to show off their dominance or they want to make it like be their ultimate comeuppance. Like um, classically when Randy Orton was left on his own against DX, the Hardy Boys and CM Punk. And it was just kind of a, uh-oh. Or, or Shawn Michaels when he was left on his own against the Hart family. I mean, if that had been Jerry Lawler like it had obviously been intended, yeah. I mean, even more so, the crowd would have lost their minds for that. So yeah, it can work in that way as well. But I think yeah, just the um, the visual of eight or ten people being involved in one match was always very appealing to me. Was was that the same with you? Did you like the the large scale matches? Well, Organised chaos because as yep. much as I do love the Royal Rumble and I love the Royal Rumble, it's not it's a multi man match that's not really wrestling orientated because mm-hmm. no, you'll see like one or two people wrestle at a time. Granted, with this, you'll see the same, but it's to be expected, and you can sort of focus more on the in-ring action. Where in the Rumble, it's like, well, who's in next? Like, who's sneaking about at the back? In actuality, it's not a very strategic match. It's, you know, you just make sure that, you know, your freshest guy is always in. It seems a lot more strategic. 
especially the first four, when the one team goes like a member down, there's always the huddle in the corner. Yes, yes. Sides who's going in. Yeah, yeah. In the words of Rick from uh, the young ones, we're being thrashed. We're being completely thrashed. Isn't there somebody who can cheat? That was what Wade Barrett was saying to the Nexus after they were down to five on seven at yeah. SummerSlam. Have you look watching that match? I just why 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 that many? That was overkill. But hmm. I think, I mean, I'm, and this is me probably being a bit traditionalist. I think five is enough. You don't need to go more than five on five. Yeah. Well, it was usually the four or five uh, against them. I mean, I thought it was always four on four because I I looked at that, and then when there was the five series in nineteen ninety one, that was the case. But I remember um, going into my local blockbuster video shop and getting to look at the back cover of the other videos and you'd see the Survivor Series from 1988 and 1987. More 1988, I very rarely saw the 1987, the original Survivor Series tape available at the video stores. But that one, it was it was five on five and that was even, I was like, wow, it's even bigger, it's even more awesome. And it was so big that instead of having a team captain, they had team co-captains. So that was how big a deal it was. Although they didn't have names, it wasn't until the third Survivor Series where... They were given a team, the teams were given team names, which was something that they've eliminated in later years. They've just called them Team Orton or Team Cena or, or whatever. They're not, give, it's not like Cena's Chain Gang or Orton's Vipers or something like that. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna see if I can reel them off the top of my head if I can remember what they were. It was the Dream Team, Dusty Rhodes team against the Enforcers, the Big Boss Man's team. There was Roddy's Rowdies against Rude's Brood. That was Roddy Piper against Rick Rude. The Warriors against the Heenan family, so that was kind of as close as you got to like a faction, as opposed to just a random assortment of guys brought together. Uh, the Hulkamaniacs, the Million Dollar Team, the Perfect Team from Mr. Perfect, the Alliance, the Mercenaries, the Visionaries, the Vipers. It was brilliant. They were usually corresponding with the, um, the team captain. But it was yeah. great. It was like this this new super team just for one night only. In a weird way, it was kind of like wrestlers' equivalent of the Avengers. These people that had their own lives separate to each other, but for this one night, they will come together as one to try and fight against the forces of good or evil. You know, depending on your slant, depending on your slant. Yeah. What I liked about the like the Survivor Series match, and it's again to me, I think that's dropped off, especially this day, in this day and age, is. Um, You'd have your singles like title matches still, your UIC, your uh, US. You'd have your tag match. And then uh, the powers that be, and your championship match, the powers that be at the top, you know, the, what the captains would be like. We're not talking Vince Russo in WCW here, are we, with powers that be? No, but the uh, the guys that were captain were like, well, we can't pick the usual guys, you know. So mm. we, we, they have to... It, it seemed like they had to do some left-field thinking, so you got to see some guys in a higher slot than you normally would, which mm. I liked about mm. But that seems to have disappeared in the last few years. Yeah, that's true. You don't get the equivalent of the 1988 Survivor Series where you had Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage, the Twin Towers, Ted DiBiase, but you also had Hillbilly Jim, Hercules, Coco Beware, King Haku, and the Red Rooster. It wasn't, like you say, it wasn't a menagerie of mid-carders and upper-carders and what have you. The last time I can think of that where it was kind of big, um, a mid-carder in a headlining feud was the Survivor Series where it was Randy Orton, Chris Jericho, and Chris Benoit, and Maven, for some bizarre reason. That's when Maven was like, didn't, that yeah. was around the period of the almost joint evolution. Almost, and, the, and that was against Triple H, Edge, Batista, and Snitsky. 
So that was this weird instance of, of people that didn't usually mingle with one another. Because that was kind of the big selling point. And that's why the Survivor Series for the first four years had entirely elimination matches. Because mm. back in those days, the business model wasn't pay-per-views and TV as the be-all and end-all of their business. It was always about the uh, live ticket sales and the merchandise. So really, even the pay-per-views outside of WrestleMania were a great big show-off of, of this grand, grand array of superstars. Look at all these people that we have, and they'll be touring around near you, and there's so many of them, and, and the, it was one of the few times where they mingled together because they were kept separate. And so there was more of a specialness to suddenly seeing Coco Beware tag-teaming with Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and, and so forth, whereas... In this day and age, you wouldn't, it's not nothing really that unique. There's very few wrestlers that don't really interact with each other on a fair regular basis. Two main reasons for that, mm. in my opinion. Uh, one, a lot more pay-per-views. A lot more multi-person tag matches yes. on Raw and SmackDown, just yes. to make sure people get some TV time. Yes, the Usos have probably tag-teamed with pretty much every singles wrestler of note at this point. Mm. And I'm a big fan of the Usos, I think they're a great team, and I think they, they, it's very hard for the Usos to have a bad match. Yeah. But it's also very hard at this moment for the Usos to have a unique match. Because, they're, because like you say, they're, they're all overexposed now. And so the specialness of those Survivor Series matches, which was, this is the night where you'll see so many people involved, and it'll be the ultimate tag team competition. The, the, there's no stakes in that, though. That's the problem with the elimination match. They seem to have even smaller stakes than the equivalent singles or tag team matches, because they won't be for titles. And they won't be for anything, really. There's very few instances where there's a Survivor Series match that's actually for something. The exceptions to that would be um main event coming up with uh, the authorities' authority on the line. You had the, the WWF, WCW, ECW, loser leaves town in the most extreme example. You also had Survivor Series 2003, I guess. Yeah. Um, Team Austin versus Team Bischoff. Yep, that's another example. And 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 not not coincidentally, these are very often some of the most highly thought of and, and remembered matches because they were for something. That's kind of what you like about it, really. Yeah. Uh, the fact that you know some it was on the line because it's the cute the clues in the name Survivor Series. Typically, you would have to survive something and get something out of it. Yeah. It was a test. It was to see who was the ultimate survivor, and, and more often than not, it was the it was your Hogan or your Ultimate Warrior. It was someone who was who was of very high importance to the storylines in the future. There was there were very rare instances where it wasn't anyone that important surviving. One of the one of the exceptions I can think of was when um and this is a match I've got great um fondness for. And it was Razor Ramon, Randy Savage, Marty Ginetti and the one two three kid. And who were the last people you would expect to survive from that match? It was Marty Ginetti and the one two three kid. And that was a nice little surprise and, and I guess sometimes you need the the usual way of doing it in order to get the surprise and, and to appreciate that. I don't know if that made sense as a sentence just then, but I think I think people understand what I was trying to say there. <clears throat> well, you were basically saying that it's a night for one of the people you didn't normally expect to do so well against superstars of that caliber to do so well. And it's very rare that that happens. One of the only other instances I can think of where someone kind of exceeded themselves was when Kofi Kingston was able to eliminate CM Punk and Randy Orton almost simultaneously, uh, one straight after the other. And that was when they were trying to give Kofi a, uh, the, the one and only big push they ever gave him and then just, I don't know... Gave up on him. Or when they, uh, a team, when, when Dolph Ziggler did so well. Uh, was it Team Ziggler against Team Orton for some bizarre reason? Yes, and Ziggler got the yeah. super kick on uh, Randy Orton. It looked like that was going to be his new finishing move. 
But that's more towards the stop-start nature of pushes in, in this day and age more than anything, I suppose. Do you, do you get where I'm coming from and why I think that the yeah. Survivor Series match has kind of lost its luster as the years have gone by? Because there's no great effect to that the people involved afterwards. No feuds are ended, rarely. No great big push begins. I mean, some... More a launching pad for feuds now. But, yes, it can launch feuds, that's true. I mean, back in the day, it was sort of a... It would be three or four different feuds going on at the same time, all being brought together in one match. Uh, case in points, uh, Hulk Hogan was feuding with Zeus, Jake the Snake was feuding with Ted DiBiase, and Demolition were per- permanently feuding with the Powers of Pain, and so they were all put into a team together, and then it became... Um, Combining of three different feuds at the same time. Whereas this year, um, and last year as well, it seems to be more a case of people are just annoyed at a group. Mm. Having a feud with a group, they're just like, oh, well, we're sick of you, we're going to go against you. Last year it was the Shield. Yeah. This year, it was the the authority. Mm. I mean, the way some of the stars were tacked into both those matches for the opposing teams, both this year and last year. Mm. Not going to go into any spoiler alerts too much for those who are... I'll go working for a back catalogue. But just to be fair, they're trying not to spoil it for, for us from the future when they're listening to it. They're probably annoyed at the lack of spoilers because we don't know what we're talking about necessarily. <laughs> Being I'm, I'm going to take a real big punt in case it happens. Oh man, when that eagle suddenly flew into the arena from out of nowhere and shat all over the Miz, I mean, who thought? Who saw that coming? It was it was a wonderful summation of how everyone really feels about him, but. It was really unexpected. And um, Damien Mizdow sold his pretending to get shat on even better. Better. As, as he naturally does. Yes. I think one point that you made, uh, that all the cut, like, uh, alluding to your earlier point, that all of the earlier ones were classic Survivor Series matches. Whereas this year, and potentially on the, ad- on the undercard, you've got Adam Rose versus the Bunny. <gasps> yeah. Clash of the Titans there. Mate, that'll sell. That'll sell tickets on its own. <laughs> um, they should have rebooked the Sky Dome, <laughs> or the Silver Dome, or the Silver Dome, or the Superdome, brother. <laughs> but my point is, um, especially now, there's no championship match this year. Mm. Spoiler alert: he ain't gonna show up. Yeah. Because, oh, but, but that's a whole rant about a part-time champion that I'm not getting into now. Mm. However, the fact that your undercard is now so comparatively weak compared Mm. to what it was of old. I think shows in a way, and I think you were alluding to this earlier, that even the WWE seem to have somewhat given up on Survivor Series, do you not think? Yes. To the point that a couple of years ago, I believe Vince McMahon actually wanted to kill off the Survivor Series name. And I don't know if it was an online backlash or if it's just he couldn't be bothered to come up with a new concept they have gone back on that. And I think it's just kind of, it's, it's, it's the tradition. I mean, the Survivor Series traditionally was supposed to be, back in the day, it was supposed to be the show on after Thanksgiving. After everyone had eaten their Thanksgiving dinner, they would all sit down and watch the wrestling. Um, that has died a death now. It, I don't think it clashes. I think it very rarely takes place at the same weekend as um, Survivor, as Thanksgiving now. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know the internets of either American Thanksgiving or Canadian Thanksgiving. So, I wonder what Canadian Thanksgiving's like compared to American Thanksgiving. I think it's a lot more, it's got to be a lot more reserved. Yes. I'm uh, thankful for, ooh, uh, decent weather we're having today, eh? Ooh, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. 
I'm thankful for uh, thankful for those really nice donuts they sell. Eh? <laughs> I was trying to remember what that donut shop was in, in specific to Canada. I can't remember it now. Ah, ah well. They make jokes about it on How I Met Your Mother. Denny's. Denny's. Is it Denny's? I thought that was in America as well. This is a very pointless digression yet again. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, would you be heartbroken? I th- I have to say, out of all of the classic pay-per-views, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Survivor Series would be the one I'd be least upset if it was to go away. Well... It's definitely the one that has the least luster of them. SummerSlam is kind of the closest thing to a, a summertime WrestleMania for that period of the year. Uh, the Royal Rumble is my favourite, usually my favourite uh, pay-per-view of the year because the match is always entertaining. Because it's not really a big four pay-per-view, I don't think. The most high-profile thing to have happened in recent years as a, to make the Survivor Series seem special was when The Rock tag team with John Cena, which was actually his first match back in seven or eight years at that point. But that was really almost just an exhibition, a, a practice match, as it yeah. were, before he before the proper return at uh, WrestleMania. And I think I was just chosen for Survivor Series because it was probably the one that was most um, close to his schedule as working best yeah. for him. In terms of, obviously, it being not being a big four anymore, it's hard for me to agree with you because I loved it so much growing up. Mm. And I am looking for this with roasted specs. Yes. I mean, if, if someone came into wrestling um, without any real great knowledge of the tradition, if they watched it for the last couple of years, would they think that the Survivor Series is like, oh, would they think that's as big a deal as SummerSlam, Royal Rumble and WrestleMania? I don't think One maybe. of my friends, um, after a long hiatus, got back into wrestling about three years ago. Mm. And a couple of new... Other, um, since then, I've got a like, couple of the friends I went with to a recent uh, television taping. They've only been in wrestling for the last year, year, like two years now. Mm. Um, like from taking, a, again, a long hiatus from when they were children. Um, and they love the money. I think they, the way they talk about money in the bank. Yeah. That's now the new, the fourth. Yeah. It's almost the Royal Rumble to SummerSlam's WrestleMania in that regard. It's sort of a, a one-two punch for that time of the year. And I suppose it was it was just that the match itself has that WrestleMania prestige to it. And also the CM Punk-John Cena match felt like the biggest non-WrestleMania main event in years. And I think it's held on to that luster ever since then, really. I think also with the Money in the Bank, you are guaranteed a hell of a match. Because it's going to be stunt spectacles. There's tons of people involved. It's going to be very intricately booked. Kind of the same way with the Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble is also very intricately booked. Spot after spot after spot. And because there's eight of them, they get the required time to rest up. Whereas with the Survivor Series, you are not guaranteed that their elimination matches will be good matches. Very often they're very yeah, dull matches. It's a similar sort of thing with another type of elimination match. Um, one that I kind of want to... Uh, We've kind of not really spoken about. Well, this is more of a Survivor Series one than the Elimination ones thus far. Mm. But the ditching, well, the reported ditching of the Elimination Chamber yes. as a pay-per-view mm. just goes to show that maybe Elimination start because that in many ways, I think, I'm surprised because I, I thought Vince would have preferred that one over. Yes, I think, I think the big problem with the Elimination Chamber is where it's located in the calendar. I don't think it's the appropriate thing to have in between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. It's the same problem that Hell in a Cell has. Mm. You can't... There is one gimmick match. Alright, there's two gimmick matches on the calendar Mm. that you can have as in a set location. Money in the Bank. Yeah. Rumble. Yeah. 
you can't have any other gimmick match in a set location. No. I think I think the Elimination Chamber w- would have worked if it was brought back into Survivor Series because again Elimination and that's mm. where it debuted. And I almost wonder if that was, was where it was always. Slap. No, the first one was Survivor Series 2002, which was Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Chris Jericho, Booker T, Rob Van Dam, and Kane. Yeah, and that was the one where. Rob Van Dam accidentally dropped his knee on Triple H's throat from 12 feet in the air and nearly crushed his larynx. And well, I think they they for some reason they pushed the SummerSlam main event from Triple H versus Goldberg the next year mm. to making it an Elimination Chamber match, which was a very bizarre decision because I think a lot of people thought maybe this is going to be the new tradition for the Survivor Series, similar to how. War Games got moved to Fall Brawl in September of each year in WCW. I think that's maybe what a lot of people thought the because the because the traditional Survivor Series match had gone down in in status year after year after year. Really, the first sign that it was going down in status was the 1991 Survivor Series where Hulk Hogan was put against the Undertaker in a singles match, which was the first non-Survivor Series match on the card. And then even more so the next year at the 1992 Survivor Series where there was only one Survivor Series match. And that was under tag team rules where when one team member was eliminated, the other team member was eliminated. So it was really just a best two out of three falls in a fancier dress. They returned back to that at the seventh Survivor Series where that was pretty much all elimination matches. But then after that, every year... It's been, there's, well, for the longest time, there was this tradition of the WF Championship changing hands at the Survivor Series. Because it yeah. changed hands at the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th. So it, and of course the 11th famously being the uh, Montreal Screwjob. Which is another thing that the Survivor Series will always be synonymous with as well. I think that's one of the reasons they won't ditch Survivor Series. Because it's sewn into something that they're going to reference still for a long time. When there's no important feuds about to be culminated or any big matches and they're looking for an opening spiel for their pay-per-views for the man with the deep voice to say it has been a tradition that spans decades. They and then just show <laughs> clips of old Survivor Series matches yeah. as, as well, like they do with the Royal Rumbles. and Welcome to WrestleMania! And I think the WWE, more so than in the past, it celebrates its history. Maybe to the point of it being detrimental, because it seems almost that they admit that it was better back in those days than it is now, in a lot of ways. They do basically, it feels sometimes that they cop to, yeah, the Attitude Era was us at our best. Ah, well, here's John Cena. Sometimes it seems like maybe they're too honour-bound by their history, whereas in the past they tried to deny it or, or un, you know, double-think us into thinking... You know, Hulk Hogan was never a good champion. Bret Hart was the greatest champion. Bret Hart was never a great champion. Stone Cold Steve Austin is the greatest champion. That's the fascinating thing, again, with the Survivor Series, when you look back at old Survivor Series, because they were very often revealed to you wrestlers that otherwise you may never have known existed, such as Scott Casey, or Sam Houston, or Or more recently maybe Hunico, (laughs) or someone like that, that maybe. No one would know outside of the Survivor Series because they needed the numbers because they were doing five on five this year. Do you prefer four on four or five on five? What does it five make on five. You prefer five on five. It's more. It's more. It's not a round number. It's actually an odd number. But you get the you get the good visual of there being two guys on either side of the corner to begin with. Exactly. And what I like about five on five is I mean, I'm thankful they never really did this, but it, you could end up with two tag teams and one bit like you know massive, yeah. like superstar. It would usually be. 
<clears throat> massive superstar tag team two blokes yeah for some reason now in the main event by virtue of Scott Casey and Sam Houston yay or ah crap uh, B. Brian Blair are you free this week yeah alright okay come on that's that's the thing like um, because that point I think Survivor Series you're right is it's sort of hoisted on its own petard now it's hmm. backed into a corner in terms of its history it can't really adapt because when they did it at SummerSlam with Team WWE, WWE versus mm. Team Nexus, it just didn't feel right. And also, they did it. Uh, I think they did it that year also at Bragging Rights when it was the Team SmackDown against Team Raw. I'm, I don't think I'm misremembering that either. I'm pretty sure that was one of the two years when they had Bragging Rights. Uh, the one year it was a one fall thing, and then the next year they made it Elimination, and then the year after that it, it didn't exist anymore. No, that was that was around the time that names popped up and went. Mm. Such as the thing that's reportedly replacing uh, Elimination Chamber next year, Fast Lane. Ooh, tell you, I'm living up up. in the Fast Lane. Well, I guess maybe that's like we're on the road to WrestleMania, and now we're in the Fast Lane. That kind of makes sense. And maybe they'll try and a get little the, more than some of the others. A yeah. little more than some. Maybe they'll try and get the Rock involved and do some Fast and the Furious uh, link-ins as well. Wouldn't surprise me. No. Have you seen the trailer to the new? Fast and the Furious movie, where The Rock breaks out of his cast by flexing his bicep until it breaks the thing open. Ah, oh, HGH is a glorious drug. Uh, it's wow, just yeah, wow, like that is it's pain and gain, basically. Oh, The Rock. <laughs> what crazy franchise won't you revive? You know what they should bring back? The carry-on movies and stick the rock in them. <laughs> You're gonna stick what up me ass? <laughs> For the American uh, listeners, that one. Go night. YouTube that, and then you'll see just how hilarious that concept is. Oh my! Isn't he big? He's a large one, isn't he? I like to rock his bottom. Oh yes, very nice. Is Johnson's the size of a Dwayne? Oh, yes. They gave up on the double entendres very quickly there, didn't they? They might as well have gone, he's probably got an enormous penis. <laughs> when did Zippy from Rainbow Size Well, oh, yeah. Ah! <laughs> uh, that, would be, uh, that would be a hell of a double act. The Rock and Zippy in Carry On Rainbow. <laughs> I'd watch it. I'd watch it. I very rarely watch movies with The Rock, actually. I went through a longest time of having a Rock embargo. I kind of, like, I watch my movies for movies. I watch Rock for what The Rock does best. So I, 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 like, you reel off The Rock's filmography, and there's very, and I'm the guy who goes and sees a lot of films. There's very few Dwayne Johnson movies I saw. I saw The Mummy Returns. I saw, he was in Get Smart, but that was because of Steve Carell. He's not, that's not, he's not, that no, wasn't his no. vehicle sort of thing. Though. Fast and Furious movies I saw with him in them. That's pretty much it. And Pain and Gain. I haven't seen Welcome to the Jungle, which I hear is a good one. I've never seen um, any, I didn't see The Scorpion King. I didn't bother with them. Um... Gridiron Gang is really good. Oh, okay. That was uh, one of the ones where he tried to act, wasn't it? <laughs> you know what, it didn't do half bad. I mean, mm. he, he is outacted by Exhibit. Which oh dear. <laughs> exhibit no, no to be fair Exhibit put in a really good shift he pimped his performance did he yeah I took a normal hip hop act 
and I turn him into an acceptable supporting character actor. <laughs> X. <laughs> I believe we were talking about wrestling at one point. At some point we were, yes. Um, so, the Survivor Series. So, let's look beyond the elimination match from the Survivor Series. And you, you made a reference to the SummerSlam matches. Very often they'll have little elimination matches in the build-up to the Survivor Series, kind of to re-educate some fans as to what the Survivor Series match is. Famously, there was a SmackDown one where Arnold Schwarzenegger was on the commentary, and it was Austin, Test, and Too Cool, maybe? I'm not sure. Uh, Against DX. And that was where Arnold took out um, Triple H, and Triple H said, no, if our cross ever paths again. That was his line. The whole elimination style match especially with I think it's a great way of like bringing up talent and protecting talent mm. I think it has I think we're all agreed it's been chronically underutilised in the past few years I don't know if it's been underutilised I don't know you need to raise the stakes in those matches for it to mean anything because you've got to look at most of these pay-per-views now because they've got so many bloody titles usually there's like four or five title matches in a pay-per-view you know and that's not even counting Night of Champions as a pay-per-view but at the very least you can make an Intercontinental title match mean something even if the Intercontinental title doesn't mean as much as it used to it's still for a belt it's still for a championship and they can reflect that in their performances why do they give a crap if they win or lose a Survivor Series match? Why does it matter if they survive the match or if their team wins the match? Yeah. I mean, you're meant to survive it. You're not meant to win it. You're meant to survive it. So you're meant to get something out of that. But, but let's, let's talk about some variants on the elimination match, and maybe outside of uh, the WWE. Um, WCW very rarely used the elimination match. I can remember one night of uh, Clash of the Champions that involved... Vader and Rick Rude and, and uh, Hercules under the name Super Invader or something like that. You mentioned War Games and that's not really elimination though. That's multi man, but it's not elimination. I think you can't really count War Games in this conversation. I don't think. Would you disagree? Well, it's the closest thing they had to, to the Elimination Chamber. Yes. You well, you could argue that the Elimination Chamber is the closest we've had to War Games. The other way around, maybe. Well, that's the generation thing again. I'm yes. looking backwards, you're yes. looking forward. In Japan, they do have elimination matches, but they have an added stipulation. I don't know if you're aware of this. When they do the elimination match, you can be eliminated by pinfall, submission, count-out and disqualification, but that very rarely happens in Japan. And you can also be eliminated by being thrown over the top rope and out to the floor. <laughs> that's an additional stipulation in their matches, and I guess it kind of saves face. Um, for some of their participants and it also allows for like a younger a smaller car a lower card act to get one up over a big card act without pinning them or tapping them out but you know back dropping them over the ropes or clotheslining. what's wrong with a good old-fashioned roll-up well maybe because it gets overused to the point that you know oh that's just that's another discussion for another time so you have that. Um, another one that you were saying War Games is the closest that there is to a Survivor Series. Well, if you combine the two, War Games with Survivor Series, you do get the Steel Cage Warfare gimmick, which was used in Ring of Honor a few times back in my glory days of watching it, which included the entering one after the other with a time limit in between. Sort of like TNA did for, oh, what was it Lethal called? Lockdown. But Lethal Lockdown, again, only went to one pinfall, I think. Am I misremembering that? Or was it always just the first pinfall scored was the win? 
I believe uh, that's right. First pinfall, but only when all five yes. were in. Whereas with Steel Cage Warfare, how it went was that pinfalls could count as it went along and you'd be eliminated and taken out of the match. And it would continue until there was one surviving team, but it was also within the war game structure of one after the other. Yeah. And going on like that and it taking place inside of a cage but, but then they could build up the story because that was one of the things Ring of Honor did so brilliantly was build up the story and they had one where it was Generation Next against the Embassy mm-hmm. so that was Roderick Strong Austin Aries Jack Evans and Matt Seidel against Alex Shelley Jimmy Rave Abyss and Prince Nana I believe and the, the story would work so that the eliminations would actually mean something but the person getting eliminated would have contributed something to the match. Like Jack Evans sacrificed himself to take out Abyss, but he hurt himself so much that he would get eliminated pretty quickly. But his elimination actually would count for something yeah. within the story of the match. Any time recently where eliminations have actually mattered mm. is last year with uh, Roman Reigns' performance. Yes. With his four eliminations in one match. Especially because mm. I think when he started they were going from... It was him and Rollins in a four-on-two situation, mm. which I think ended up as I think it was three-on-one by the time. Yeah. Like, last man. And like you say, it's the classic inversion. Instead of it being the baby faces fighting against the odds, it was actually the heel fighting against the odds to show just how scary and dominant Roman Reigns truly was. Mm. The only other person that they gave that similar push to, and again they gave him a similar push with the Royal Rumble performance, was Diesel. At the 1994 Survivor Series, it was him, Shawn Michaels, Jeff Jarrett, Gene Neidhart, and Owen Hart against Razor Ramon, Davey Boy Smith, the 123 Kid, and the Head Shrinkers. And Diesel pretty much eliminated all of the team except for Ramon, so it was five on one. And then Shawn Michaels accidentally kicked him in the face, and they got into an argument, and everyone left the ring, and somehow that meant they all got counted out, which was pretty stupid as a finish goes, but... The elimination, like you say, the multiple eliminations from one person can really put that person across. Like I said, with Kofi Kingston getting the final pimples on Punk and Orton, um, it can you can occasionally make something out of it. You can push people out of it. But really, people are just kind of treading water where they were to begin with if they win the match, more often than not. Well, these days, certainly. Yeah. So. I mean, I'm worried I'm coming across as cynical. I do love the Survivor Series, and it did, as a kid, I, I have great affection for it. But looking at it from a storytelling perspective or from an understanding of, of what wrestling needs to do to convey a good story, that smarky, I, you know, why why should I care about the, the stories? But I, I guess I'm just, I've, I've gone too far into the looking glass to, to escape it now. Oh, no, yeah, you're, we're there now. Yeah, so... I have to kind of look at it as what story are you telling me and how is this helping the progression of everything as it goes along? And they don't really... They, they just This is very sombre and it's not been the most positive of episodes, but they don't really do much for me anymore. This one might make an exception. I, I don't want them to ever get rid of the Survivor Series and I'll always have a bit of affection for those matches and sometimes you'll get a bloody good one. But I don't hold as much affection for them as I used to and I don't see them as some great element of wrestling that would the wrestling world would be lost if the if you got rid of the elimination match i think it hurts to say it but uh, and like you, you raised some strong points me I, i'm just too much of a traditionalist i just can't let go mm. of it well speaking of tradition and speaking of uh looking on the bright side of things we're going to come to our mount rushmore now so simon we're going to ask you for your four favorite elimination matches and you can interpret them as you see fit 
within the confines of tag team elimination because we never really got round to three-way dances or six-way eliminations or or really elimination chamber matches really so we're going to keep this with tag team elimination matches do you have four you want to give us right off the bat i want to do team wwe versus team uh, wcw mm-hmm. or what it meant yeah i want to pick also uh I can interpret it this way. Um, payback, Shield versus Evolution. Ah, yes. Yes, that was an elimination match. Yes, a good example. That was an example of the clean sweep, as it were. And also the final uh, bow for the Shield as we see them today. There is a future episode about the Shield coming your way at some point in the near future, I think. Maybe, maybe after the one year of them being split up, we might sit down and reflect on what has been and what could be in the future, maybe. It's going to be emotional. Mm. Um, I'm afraid to say this is going to be a WWE clean sweep, sweep I think. Okay. Um, team Austin versus Team Bischoff. Okay. For, one, the performance of Michaels. Yes. And two, the emergence of Randy Orton, who had early in the evening RKO'd Mark Cuban because I can do what I want. <laughs> That's what I loved about Legend Killer Orton. It's just... You know what? Sod you. I'm coming. And I think the final one. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it because it showed me. Oh, no, I don't want to. I was going to say something there so I can. But the one I liked the mo- like one of the ones I liked purely because it showed me how far women's wrestling has fallen. And this this is me u- using it as a cynical pick. And I do apologize for that. Mm. But it was a seven-on-seven seven Divas uh, <laughs> Survivor Series elimination match, which went, I think, nine, ten minutes? Under a minute of fall. No, you've misused the concept. You've not got this down for the night. You're going to include that in your Mount Rushmore? I'm going to have it in my Mount Rushmore um, purely because it reminds me how far the concept has sunk. <laughs> I know it's a bit left field, to have in there, but it, every time I, re- I think of that match, it just it, it, it aggravates me, and it also makes me proud because <laughs> it aggravates me that that was a thing. It also makes me proud that I realised why that was a th- why that was a bad thing, and mm. all the good things that I have to think about to make up for it. Well, it is your personal Mount Rushmore, so you can interpret it as you see fit. So, yeah. yes, by all means, take that one. Be be my guest. Yeah. Um. I've, I've, I've thrown you there. I know I have. Mm. But, and um, conversely, now you're going to blow me out the water. I imagine with your four. Um, now the way we like to do it is that we have one that we both agree on, and that can kind of be the definitive one. Mm. But that does kind of because there's two that I want to include, and you've done two two of them. So I'm going to have to be a bit harsh on myself. But I'll, I'll go through the ones that are unique to me first before I agree with one for you. Um, the first one I'm going to say, and this isn't really a good match, but it's kind of, a, again, this is kind of a fond, it's an okay match, but it's kind of a personal fond memory, and I always liked it. And it's the Hart family against Shawn Michaels and the Knights, which was where Shawn Michaels stepped in for Jerry Lawler at the last minute because of Jerry's wandering hands and um, unusual definitions of what uh, legal tender is. Um <laughs> 
and it was it wasn't well, a great match guess in many ways. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't a great match in, in many ways. It could be kind of a dull match, but there were a number of things that I loved about it. One, I loved how the Brett, the Hart brothers all came out in the same kit of the singlets, but it was actually short singlets. So you very, for one of the few times you got to see Bret Hart's thighs, which I'm sure quite a few ladies in the crowd enjoyed that. I'm not saying I did, but one thing I did enjoy about that was that the other brothers wore black with pink trim and he wore pink with black trim to kind of designate him as the team captain. I thought that was a nice little touch. It was a perfectly fine bit of elimination, uh, technical wrestling for the most part. And, and it also had priceless, the last piece of priceless Bobby Heenan commentary because he was gone a few weeks later. And just look up on YouTube because I think someone made a highlights of all of the best jokes he was making for the um at the expense of the Hart family like uh he said I told Stu the other day Stu you've got to be proud of your boys and he said I have boys <laughs> and just and he says Bobby Heating you've got to be careful because there are members of the Hart family just behind us right now oh that's the smell and it was just <laughs> absolutely and also uh Ray Combs I think and his name was who was um the equivalent of Les Dennis in America, he hosted their family fortunes. He was one of the best celebrity guests in wrestling history because he actually really got into the swing of things. I, I love it when they have celebrity guests that actually embrace the the razzmatazz, and he did his job really, really well. He like he, he got on Bobby Heenan's case, he rooted for the good guys, he was passionate, he loved the action. And so I have a lot of affection for that match, probably beyond the quality of it itself. Um, so that's one of them. The second one that's definitely in there, uh, it was it was a toss-up between the two matches. It was either going to be the 1987 version or the 1988 version, which was when it was five tag teams against five tag teams. That was the depth of roster in the WWF and in their tag division alone, where there were ten wrestlers on either side, and the outside of the ring was absolutely rammed to the point that they had to put the camera higher up to, to see the action going on. And... It was just a wonderful visual of just... And also the fact that these tag teams all had their own names. They had their own team names. And they had their own kit that they wore together that was corresponding. I'm going to go with the 1988 version, I think. 1987 might be a bit better, but 1988 was the one that I remember watching more. And I just loved the... Like I said, I loved the visual of it. And that and that also had a great uh, double turn before the legendary Austin Bret Hart one. So you had... The, the match started off with the Powers of Pain... The British Bulldogs, the Hart Foundation, the Rockers, and the Young Stallions. Against Demolition, the Brainbusters, the Bolsheviks, the Fabulous Rougeau Brothers, and the Conquistadors. Just insane. Just absolutely insane that there were that many people and the match went for 40 plus minutes. And it was the Rockers' first pay-per-view debut. And it was one of the few times where Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart were on the same team. I think it was the only pay-per-view where they tag-teamed together, even if they may never have even tagged one another. It was just a wonderful visual, and I loved that match for what it was. I'm gonna go. I'm actually gonna go outside the WWE, so I'm gonna go for that Ring of Honor Steel Cage Warfare match. I'm gonna count that as an elimination match. Told a fantastic story. Ended a feud between the Generation Next and the Embassy, which had kind of built up over the best part of a year because it was about Alex Shelley being dumped by the group and then him trying to be a babyface but just being ostracized by the rest of the locker room. Turning to the Embassy were the only people to take him, and then just the great. I love faction warfare. I'm always a big fan of that from DX against the Nation to the Shield against the Wyatt family 
to the dudes with attitude against the four horsemen. I just love one of, again, one maybe not so much compared to the others. So those would be my first three. And for my Mount Rushmore, it is a toss up between Team WWF versus the Alliance and Team Austin against Team Bischoff. And I'm going to say, because it wasn't attached to as bad a storyline, it wasn't the conclusion to something that really was quite deflating, and really just for the individualistic performance of Shawn Michaels, and that was kind of the one where it was like, wow, this guy's here to stay, and he can still do it. And it took the elimination match format, the one against three, and it told a beautiful story in that regard. And like you said, it made a big deal out of Randy Orton. So yeah, I'm going to say Team Austin, Team Bischoff. That will be our, our ultimate, that is the gold standard we'll say together for the Elimination Survivor Series match. And once again, one of those isn't quite like the others. One of those really doesn't belong. No, no. Stand by my choice. Yes. But yeah, this is all about personal interpretation, personal opinions of wrestling. There are, there are other great Elimination matches over the years. And there are some good ones to check out on the network. And there's also some great stuff from Japan. The classic New Japan versus UWF cross-promotional matches in the 80s. Which I think were also kind of gauntlety insofar as there would be singles matches where one would be eliminated and someone else would take over. Chikara have their enormous Cibernetico elimination match, which I think involves goes on for like an hour and a half and involves ten people on either side and all sorts of craziness in in that regard. So... There's room for the elimination match, but maybe it's standing in the WWE Survivor Series is not as great as it could have been. Or maybe it's as good as it can get, I don't know. And I never thought, I mean, the, as I say, TNA never really got it going either. Mm. Um, I mean, one of the few, few elimination matches I did like in TNA, um, just to prove that I do watch something else, yes. <laughs> with a uh, clean sweep of WWE and my Mount Rushmore, their full Metal Mayhem, where it was, I can't remember the year, but Jeff Jarrett was a prized member of team, uh, a fifth member of the team, and all the other members apart from Sting, who had picked him, was like, "You know what? No, mm. I'm not keen on him." Again, and I'm the- not sure. Was that Lethal Lockdown? Again, I don't know if that counts as an elimination match. It counts as a multi-person match, but I'm not sure that, if it was under the elimination. That's the yeah, I think they had they had one really good one with the X Division when the X Division was kind of at its Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles peak of things. I think they had a really good one there, but that was just when those guys couldn't have a bad match if they were blindfolded and with a a spoonful of guacamole shoved in their mouth every thirty seconds. That's they could still have great matches. So. If you disagree with some of these uh, opinions that we've expressed and wish to hurl abuse at us, then by all means do so, because that's what Twitter's for. Um, Simon, how can people get to you outside of the internet and roaming the streets of Leicester? Well, um... With your army surplus store clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you can always find me on Simon Cross Free on Twitter. Um, You can find me on Facebook if you stalk hard enough. Um, you can find me on my Facebook, on my other group's Facebook page, Mid uh, Table Crisis, although probably the wrong audience for the comments section. Mm-hmm. Uh, or using Mid Table Crisis, you can find the link to some of my other, you know, finer podcast outings with mm-hmm. the illustrious Sir Thomas of Patrick. Yes. Uh, we will hopefully have more stuff. We, we were talking maybe about starting a blog maybe in the future. We'll let you know. Maybe getting our own Twitter feed for this podcast when we finally start putting them up. And. Uh, and if you want to follow me personally, my name is Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple N. And that is my Twitter handle. 
That's also my Facebook profile name. If you want to add me as a friend, by all means do so. I need more friends for that personality. <laughs> and uh, if you want to... And if you want to know more about my time spent, my years at the coalface as a professional wrestling fan, then by all means go to Amazon and get yourself an ebook version of my first ever book, Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. It comes John Lister endorsed from Power Slam and it is currently standing with four stars, I think. That was the last time I looked at it because I, for the longest time, I only had two reviews. Uh, one from a guy who I don't know if he actually read the whole thing, who gave it two stars. And one from my cousin, who gave it five stars and said, I may be biased because he's my cousin. But now two other people have actually given it reviews and have read the book and have said some very, very kind words. And I'm greatly appreciative of that. And I do think, I, I'm not just saying this because it's me. Because it's my book, I am, I genuinely am very proud of this book, and I think if any of you are wrestling fans, and if you're listening to this podcast, surely you're a wrestling, wrestling fan, fan, then there is something in this book that will appeal to you, and you'll 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 enjoy it. That's my <laughs> guarantee. Um, so from myself, Lorcan Mullen, and myself, Simon Cross, we've thank you for letting us tell you something, and so long, grapple fans. Maybe it's still just connection issues. My net's still shit, so. So all that porn you're downloading, stop doing that. I know, I know, but it's so good. <laughs> yeah, look, I know you get it for the plot. We mm. all get that. <laughs> oh, it's, it's intriguing. It's, it's, you know how it's the golden age of TV? It's the golden age of porn as well. Because it's parodying stuff of a higher quality. <laughs> Do you know what I was thinking? You know this um, Fifty Shades of Grey movie that's coming out? Yeah. But they're trying to... I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but I think they're going to try and re- sort of emphasise the... Not the sex, more kind of the... I don't know, the eroticism's not the right term. But I don't think it's going to be as racy as people want. And I was saying Fifty Shades of Grey might be the first film in history where the pornographic parody is a it's more... real thing. Well, it's a more faithful adaptation of the source <laughs> material. <laughs> You really can't say that about the porno version of, of Mice and Men. No, you can't. Of of Splicing <laughs> Men. <Ugh. laughs> oh, that's a niche corner of the internet right there.